Hello, and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep heritage alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis, and today's guest is Laurie McCarthy. Laurie grew up in a small fishing community of Baleen, of about 200 people on the east coast of Newfoundland and Labrador. The traditional foods of her childhood feed her passion to tell the stories of her province through its people, culture, and food. Out of this passion, she started Project NL Food, a province-wide endeavor to visit various communities and speak with generations of people that hold their culture close to their heart. Laurie also owns and operates Cod Sounds, a company which is devoted to celebrating the province's unique foods with travelers and locals alike through hands-on experiences like beach boil-ups, muscle picking, and berry picking. Hi, Laurie, and welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm delighted you're here because there's nothing I like better to talk about than food. I think this <laughs> is a, it's a great way to get people thinking about culture. It is, absolutely. Yeah. So I want to jump right into the middle and uh, and talk about kind of what's coming up next for you. You're you're going off this February and March to do some work in, in Fortune and Bonavista. That's right, yeah. Where does that project come from? Um, well, that's part of this, you know, NL Food project that sort of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's invented itself, really. Um, I met a wonderful lady a few years ago uh, after there was an article in uh, in the Telegram, actually. And she had contacted me through email and said, you know, I have these uh, recipes that my late husband left. And he had spent, you know, 10 years collecting all these recipes. And not only was it recipes, but it was kind of like all the missing pieces to the recipe that uh, it, that was there. There was, there was how the night began and how the day went and where they came from and who brought what. and. Um, so I, I started with that, and I thought to myself, wow, you know, there's so much out there that we're not talking about around the food. So I'm, uh, I'm going to actually um, into some of the director of marketing for the Tourism in Newfoundland. They're having some conferences in Fogo and uh, Fortune and Bonavista. So while I'm there, I'm going to take the opportunity to speak with as many people as I can. And that's like simply just over a cup of tea in their kitchen, you know, and this one knows this one. And... <clears throat> Excuse me, and it's kind of uh, yeah. You, you should talk to this one. You should talk to that one, and that's how it really became. You know, that's and it's about the people that you meet along the way. Of course, you know, with anything that you're doing, it's all about the people you work with, the people you meet, and that's uh, that's where the treasures mm -hmm. sort of are held. I think I'm always amazed at how regional food is, even even here even in Newfoundland. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, like we, if you go to Fortune, it's you're going to find different things than what you'll find in Bonavista. And I can't wait you know? to hear those stories. I remember being down somewhere on the Buren Peninsula and, and someone having um, some kind of like tea biscuit or scone or something like that, and and it having and and me taking a great big bite out of it and then finding it had uh, big chunks of uh, pork fat like fat in back, yeah. fat back pork in it and for me like that like those kind of savory buns it wasn't what i was expecting right <laughs> i put my <laughs> mouth into it you know and and i always i always find you know asking asking people simple questions about like what do you call fried bread dough right like what do you well, we call it towns here. Yeah. I think most people call it towns in Newfoundland, but every culture has its fried bread dough. Yeah. Right? And I know, like, depending on where you are in the province, like, if you're if you're in some parts of Newfoundland and Central, people call that a tiffin. Oh. Like, I, I know people from, you know, Glovertown area who, yeah. who definitely say tiffin instead of towns. And, and I got into a great debate with a, a group <laughs> of ladies once about, you know, what, what the difference was. And then, you know, is it a... Is it a 
in, in Labrador, they might call it a flummy around the mud lake area. Or if you're from an Inuit community, you might call it Panitsiak. You know, it's it, depending on where you're from. Yeah, sure. It's, absolutely. It's and, different. you yeah. know, from Spain to Italy to France to, you know, and even, like you say, within the regions, right? Yeah. So in you, these vast countries, they reach food is regional, just like it is here. So you're going to be presenting uh, in these places, but then looking to have some informal conversations. Yeah, absolutely. What would you like to come back with? What would you like to learn while you're out there? More of what you just spoke about, yeah. right? Like this is, uh, these are some of the writings that come from um, the lady that I spoke about who left me this massive stacks of recipes. And it's very specific when, you know, he starts off and he talks about in the placentia area in the 30s and 40s. And he goes on to talk about um, there was this occasion they call scoff night. Now, we've all heard of a scoff. And from, you know, what I've learned, it comes from escoffier. Um, of course, the famous Escoffier, oh, yeah. Interesting. And that was just, all those little nuggets and little tidbits of information are kind of what makes it all go round. And like I said, just outside of the recipe itself, right? So he talks about how, um, you know, that evening they would have this night and they would go on as to, you know, roll up the canvas in the kitchen and remove the stove from the kitchen, <laughs> you know? And then talks about the meal it was usually Jig's dinner and how there was... They never had turkeys. It was usually a pork or a piece of fresh meat. And how somebody would sort of nip something from someone's garden on the way over to the dinner to add to the dinner. But how it was usually over, overlooked. It wasn't that big of a deal because it was, it was you know, it was just a, such a lighthearted thing and went to such a good cause. And so all the little information around how, why did you, why did you cook that like that? And how did you store it and preserve it? That's... The, the storing and the preserving for me, I found really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we come from such a culture of of that, and we're like eight, nine months of the year, nothing grew. Yeah, right. So when you talk about today, like eating local and eating in season, well, we did eat in season, but our season was so short. So I mean, it was really the ingenuity behind what did we do with it all? How did we learn to do that? And, and I mean, I'm sure it, most of it comes from our Irish and our English and, and all those, you know, influences that we had here at our food. Um, but why did you do it? How did you do it? And when did you eat that stuff? And why did you eat it then? You know, it, and all of it had so much to do with the weather, right? And, you know, in all these writings who people talk about the weather and how they knew, you know, when things would be ready to plant and when things... So all that extra information, I think, you know, today... We're in, you know, a food revolution, so to say. And so much of everything is being documented from Facebook to Twitter to Instagram. I, I feel like nothing will ever be lost again. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. But the um, that generation, the generations that are past, I feel we're still nice and close enough to it that we can still talk to the people who actually did it. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's so much of that will be passed on to generations, which is, you know, the hope and the idea. But I feel that like it's really important to write that stuff down now from our grandmothers and, and our grandfathers of how things went. Because it does seem that in North America, there was a bit of a was a bit of a gap that, you know, the children of the 50s, mm-hmm. you know, the, it was really important 
um, you, you had to eat, you know, the, the jello and the TV dinners and all those processed right. foods. It was part of the, you know, it was kind of, we're, we're not our parents' generation. We want to embrace kind of mass-produced food. And right. that became high status or higher it status did. in a way. Right. And a lot of that, I think, came from, it was, you know, the time it was a big the feminist movement and women were getting out of the kitchen. They were being told that, you know, this is how you do it now. So now this frees you up to do other things in life. And now... We're realize, ha, realizing, and you know, lots of people always do and have realized how important it is to provide those that nourishment, and for for that to be someone's role to do, you know, and you know, so much about you know, you read so much about that, right? Mm-hmm. How important it is to uh, learn how to do that stuff and pass that stuff on. Yeah, and so I think you know that the legacy of that, like my, I'm thinking about my mother's generation, is that certainly my mother knew how to do certain things that she had learned growing up, but my generation maybe isn't as close to the land as, as was our parents' generation or our no. grandparents' generation. And so there is kind of a, you know, an opportunity to do some of this recording that you're talking about because yeah. uh, there is a generation now that, that don't necessarily know where their food comes from. Or, right. how, or how to pre- prepare it, or think about things like preservation and canning right. and, and those types of things you're talking about. Yeah, um, and I probably grew up eating much like you did, where my mom knew how to do all the, all the what she calls rough grub, which, you know, she has no idea that those simple things that she did to create flavor, you know, you look it up in some fancy culinary institute, there's actually something that tells you how to do it like that, mom. But there's just a kind of a lack of appreciation for that stuff that she did. And then, so I grew up eating the, you know, we had soup every day from a can for lunch. And we had, you know, kip can kippers and, and, you know, whatever stovetop dinner stuffing was on the go, we did. But now supper was always like a home-cooked meal, right? But that generation, my generation ate like that. Mom's generation, they they were the ones who had it the hardest, I think. Because when I talked to my grandmother, um, and even then that little video that you watched that we did, um, you know, Nan starts off by saying, oh, my darling, there was plenty of everything. There was plenty of vegetables. There was... She said we were never hungry, but in mom's generation, it was a, it was definitely a harder time. Probably, you know, all that having to do with coming out of the war and stuff in that t- those times. But she said everyone had, Nan said, you know, everyone had the big gardens and everyone had their own sheep and someone in the community would have a cow, right? So they, we, mom, uh, mom grew up in Pooch Cove and that's where Nan did. Um, and it was, you know, it was a couple of cows and Nan would send mom over to get some milk and you'd pay 10 cents or five cents or whatever for the milk. And then that was brought home. But it was very much about a community, like not everyone had a cow, you know, right. but then when someone next door would slaughter off 10 chickens, I mean, it was a very, the barter system is as old as time, right? And now it's been, you know, here, they're redoing it, bringing it back. But yeah, and then someone had the pig and when the pig was slaughtered, there was an exchange and, but you know, I was surprised to hear Nan say that, that it was a time of plenty and piles of vegetables. But if we didn't learn what to do with them, we would have been in hard shape. Or the, you know, they would have been in hard shape. I mean, the sellers were really what saved them, you know, because there was no pile of money. While there was lots of meat and vegetables and milk and all that, there was no pile of money. So if you really didn't pres- learn how to preserve it, I don't, they wouldn't have had it as well off for those, all those months, you know? Mm. So part of what you're doing as well now is is teaching some of these skills. So you've right. been, you've been running workshops and and, yes. and 
Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? I'm curious about you were doing a kind of a butchering, uh, a hair uh, Right, that's workshop? coming up in a couple of weeks. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so when I started doing the cooking classes, uh, it was a few years ago. And I do them all at the Compton House up there on, uh, on Waterford Ridge Road. Um, it's, you know, a beautiful old inn, so it's great to get back in and use these inns. But... Um, yeah, so the cooking classes were going on, you know, for, for a couple of years. And then it became, you know, I really want to start teaching people the food from here. Because when I started hunting a few years ago, like, um, I didn't really know how to do it. I didn't know what to do with it when I got it. And then you hear people say, well, you know, the, I have the best, found the best people, you know, down in Taurus Cove and buddies I've met down there. And they'll say, well, I can do all the hunting I want, but the miss is not going to cook it, <laughs> right? So, and then he don't know what to do with it. So they have freezers of ducks and rabbits and because they don't know what to do with them. Um, sometimes, most people, they're still, you know, prized and they do still cook them. But I thought that there's definitely an opportunity to show people how to eat that food, right? Um, so, yeah, so I'm going to do a lot of uh, more classes and demo classes that will really represent the food from here. Mm-hmm. and how to cook the wild game and how to skin the rabbits and of course we call them rabbits they're hares but yeah yeah so you you have a you have an entrepreneurial side uh, yeah. to yourself you know i mean you 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 are more than just someone who is out documenting this stuff you you run this as a business i do yeah yeah, yeah. and and i think that that's a, a great way to kind of show the value of culture you know that we can actually take this stuff and and kind of make you know, a bit of a living for ourselves by doing traditional things. It's right. really exciting. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about um, the tours that you lead at the foraging and the boil ups and that kind of thing? Sure. So, um, again, you know, just in the whole idea of passing this stuff on, and I think when people come to Newfoundland, they're really looking for something pretty special. Not to say they're not looking for something special when they go other places, but we've really created uh, this air of way of life around here. And so I really wanted to show people something that we did and do that's very simple. And I really had no idea that it was going to create such a such an excitement among people. I didn't I mean I had no idea how people were going to take it. And I told mom I was going to take people out on the beach to do a boil up and it was like, "Oh, honey, you know, no one's going to pay for that." <laughs> <laughs> so it's so like, you know, so heartfelt when she said it. So but I do, I take people out on a foraging trip. When I, um, I used to run a personal chef business years ago and work in the restaurants. And when I stopped doing that, um, only to have, uh, to have my children. And during that time, I kind of missed that connection to the restaurants and the chefs. And so I started um, reading a lot about wild edibles and what we have here. And, you know, basically showed up in the back door of Raymond's one time with bunch of cattails and said do you guys have any use for these and it was kind of like yeah and you know can you get us more and what can you get us so we started from that and so for three or four years I was uh, collecting stuff for the restaurants and in the winters I spend myself like piled in books reading because it's there's so much to know and I'm really just scratched the surface uh, and and then I thought that well you know maybe people might like to know about all the stuff that's here so we do. I do run tours during the summer, and it's like three or four hours. Yeah. So so walk me through it. Like, yeah, say so, I go on a tour with you. What what happens? Okay. So you we I'll send you the location um, of where where to meet me, and it all depends on the tides and sort of what's in season. And I try to do a mix of um, beach greens and uh, like um, 
foraging things that grow kind of just on the outskirts of the woods and stuff from the sea. So it's usually a couple locations. We'll go to the beach. We'll spend a half an hour walking along the beach and we'll taste and pick and I'll tell you all about what all those are and um, how we're using them today. There's not a lot of information on how they we used them before. Um, I think if you know going back to uh, you can get you know going back to the the native uh, Indian cultures. There's a lot of written about that so I'm kind of been looking for a lot of old books on how they used it so we spend our time on the beach and then sometimes we'll even go somewhere else and we get there and we light a fire and I usually get into the water and I pick some seaweeds and I tell you about them and all the while it's really I want to tell the story of hope in Newfoundland about our industries and our cultures so I'm talking about how our restaurant industry now uses this and I'm talking about how our aquaculture is you know what's happening in that and are in our fisheries while you're while they're picking things out of the ocean and we're talking about it and tasting it and we light a fire and we have a full like traditional boil up and it's sometimes I'll do something you know so-called fancy something different that we wouldn't have been eating them growing up but a lot of it is you know I make all my homemade bread and jams and preserves and tea buns and all that fat back buns and stuff <laughs> you you know stuff that we would have done we and we just have a cook-up like it's such a simple thing but it's a I think people feel really immersed in in a moment right and then they walk away with a very um, inspired kind of uh, feeling it seems you know from their time out and yeah so who, who have your customers been so it's a really a mix of locals and people vis- and visitors I have to say a lot of people from here will say you know the son's coming home with his wife from Ontario and she's never done this you know we haven't done this in so long we haven't done this since the kids were young and it just takes all the work out of it for people I think you know even they'll have family members come in last year I did a group of family for like 15 of them they all had a little reunion here and it was definitely a moment of pure nostalgia for people who have done it before and for some of them who had never done it it was wow like this is how you this is that you can really do this you know and I take people out you know travel writers and stuff that would come from New York or something in there or you know anywhere and they're like, I can't believe you guys can just kind of go to the beach and light a fire and do this and like you did this I'm like yeah like all the time <laughs> you know and you're telling them about the Capelin run and you're telling you know and the stories and the history and then I really want it to be about you know then and now uh, because now is really important uh, because this is where we are now so taking a it's kind of like a snapshot in that it's some of the old food it's some of the new food it's where we were it's where we're going and to me that's important because when we talk about culture and tradition we're making it right now in a hundred years this is what we're going to be talking about what we did and what we ate so i think it's important to not just think of culture and tradition as all the old ways or the old food because i think we're we're making them all the time right that those the, my mom used to say Oh, you know, we don't have any tradition around that. I'm like, well, let's just make one, right? From now on, we're going to come over every boxing day and we're going to make cookies or... So don't think that, you know, it has to be a very certain thing because things do change and, and, and evolve. And that's what our stories will be in 100 years, just like they were 100 years ago. Hmm. That's the interesting thing for me. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about the, you know, you, you're talking about how you, you'll kind of wade into the ocean, you'll pull out the seaweeds and stuff and, and serve those up. Right. Can you give me a really specific example? Like what's one, what's one of the, the types of 
seaweeds or something that you're that you're hauling out and then what do you do with it how do you you prepare it to eat it (laughs) so there's one uh there's a a whole um species of it's called we call it bladder wreck is a common uh and they're of the wreck kind of family um and they're all the little ones that you see when tide goes out say in avondale and and they're all still clinging to the rocks they're not free-flowing so those will i'll pick them off i mean just as much as i need if that's a couple of handfuls and we will light a fire and then when the fire is almost out we'll put the rack on it and we'll put the muscles on top of it and cover it in more rack and then it steams the muscles open or we'll take some Mm. yeah and sometimes after a big storm you'll get the big long wide kelps Some, some of them are known as sugar kelps or finger kelps and you can take them and I'll wrap the codfish in them and wrap and then put the codfish on the fire when it's so then you get all the natural salt and all the flavor yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to come out on a, <laughs> yes you'll have to come you, out think, sometime yeah. my mouth is watering yeah should, but I mean years yeah. ago you'd never do that right right but we're still eating the codfish we're still lighting a fire and you're still telling people all about it so yeah there was a, there was a little news item this past week from uh, I think from branch about um, they were having problem with kelp, like kelp buildup in the community. And all these okay. people were like, what do we do with all this kelp? And and a local man had had responded and said, you know, well, like, we used to use it. Yeah, We, we used to use lot. this stuff for fertilizer, and there, yeah. was, there was a, a need for it in the community. And now... And now we perceive it as a problem when it's actually an opportunity. You know? Absolutely. I mean, I'm working now with um, a woman who is uh, harvesting kelp. So she's got a commercial harvest license. And she is she has bought a pl- those, you know, some of those plants that have been closed down. She is processing this fertilizer, this um, kelp. And she's always looking for beaches full of kelp <laughs> and storm, like storm kelp that have come up. Yeah. And it's, they dry it in like in these massive tons, tons volumes, right? So that's exactly what you're talking about. The whole idea of taking something that's a problem and turning it into an opportunity, right? There is, um, there's a kelp farmer and this little island off of Ireland, and there's like 120 people living there. And she started a kelp farm three years ago, in um, and the she now employs. Like, I think it's up to 10 people. And that's really important. It's 10 people that get to stay and live on their island, live their way of life. And she actually taught them to become lab assistants. Um, so and they're testing these kelps all the time and seeing the amount of this and that. And she taught them how to do it. It's, you know, it's very simple to take something that you need done and use the people that are already uh, that are already there to do it. And, you know, opportunities in Newfoundland for kelp and stuff. I mean, it's I love that stuff. I love the idea of, yeah, what can we, and there's so much of it that's, um, you know, the aqua, we're growing this massive aquaculture industry now. And in a lot of places they've realized you put kelp farms out next to aquaculture farm and it's this massive feeding and, and filtration that takes place. So it's a really, there are absolutely opportunities out mm-hmm. there, right? Yeah. I don't think we'll be able to eat it all. <laughs> but That's a lot of steam muscles. It's a lot of steam muscles, yeah. <laughs> but we, she makes uh, fertilizer out of it, right? And yeah. it's, uh, yes, and the, a friend of mine has a cabin down in Gooseberry Cove. And she, um, we were down there one morning and all the boys, you know, backed the truck in and pitchfork it into the truck and goes home on the, on the gardens. Mm-hmm. And that was so important because our soil was lacked so much right and that was how things grew so everything from like that's what really excites me everything from waiting for a storm to come so you can get the kelp so you can put it on the the ground so that the vegetables will grow so that next year you'll have 
food to eat. Like it's, anyway, it's very cool. Yeah. Um, you did a little video a while back with the Department of Tourism that, you know, they were yeah. doing these little tourism videos for different people doing interesting things. And, and there's great shots of you out picking chanterelles. Yeah. Uh, and even something like that, like I've never gone mushroom picking, you know, so you must have your little secret spots where you No, know I'm that- not hiding secret spots anymore. <laughs> I have to go further to find them because lots of people are picking them now. Yeah. Um, but it's one of the uh, it's one of the safest mushrooms to pick because it's so easily recognizable. Right. Yeah. I don't take people out mushroom picking, um, uh, but p- there's a large group of people who are doing it now. Everyone, you know, one time when I was in the restaurant industry like 12 years ago, and this little old man would come to the back door, knock knock with his little bag of mushrooms, and and that was the only way you knew how to find him. Yeah. But now they're becoming very very popular. And there are mushroom picking clubs in various places. There are, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, so yeah. it really has become something that it's uh, that's it's, it's part of our you know our, our new way of thinking about food. It is yeah. right. When, um, my uncle Vanner, uh, he was from Germany, from the Black Forest, and he grew, he uh, married my grandfather's sister in Puchkov. And he was the odd fella from, uh, you know, Germany who went out and picked these mushrooms in the woods. And that will be part of my story. Uh, you know, now here was this something that was very odd. And in 100 years, they're going to be talking about this, this wave of chefs that came and started picking. Um, there's a, a new book coming out, Wild Side, The Enchanted yeah. Life of Hunters and Gatherers. Is it is it out now or is it? Uh, it's available in the to order. Okay. Um, it's released in Europe and it's available to order on Amazon to pre-order. So okay. the Canadian release is coming out later uh, in the next month. I and think. So how did this come about? I don't know. They found me and they emailed <laughs> me <laughs> and they said, "Oh, we've heard about you know that you do a lot of this you know picking and and of course uh, I said, yeah, yeah. And so they said, you know, would you like to be featured in this book? And we're doing, and when I looked up the publisher, they're a very well-known publisher and their books are, they do really some really great books. So I agreed to do it. So, yeah. And so what, what kinds of things does the book cover? Then? So the book covers uh, people with interesting stories to tell about how they either make a living or what they do with their life. Not It's not all about businesses. It's about people who are, um, sort of really close to the land and and they're as a way of life. So whether that's artisans or um, people making perfume and people, uh, painters. And so it's a really eclectic mix of people that are just living close to the land. Mm. So if people want to get a copy of the book, they can go on to Amazon and, yeah. and look for it there. And chapters will have it. And, and if people want more information about you and the, the classes and, and workshops that they're doing, you have a website. I do. It's uh, codsounds.ca. Yeah. And you do all kinds of stuff. Like you're always, I'm, I'm, I love, and you, you have a, you are kind of on social media in various I places. Am. Yeah. yeah, you can find me at Cod Sounds and, and social media also. Yeah, which is great. And you always have really delicious pictures. And <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> um, of, of all the stuff that you've kind of foraged and, and gone out and eaten, do you, do you have a favorite wild food? Is there something that, or something that means something to you? I love the oyster plant. It just seems to be a plant that there you can't really say it's like anything else because it's not like anything else you know so that's a really interesting plant I love when I find that and I can offer that up to people to taste and so what is it it is a little bluish green plant if you go to placentia there's it's there's miles of it in placentia but sometimes around here it's harder to find sometimes grows in sandier areas and then what do you do with it I put it in salads Yeah. yeah and then I started dehydrating things and sort of making salts out of them and 
Yeah, so then I can have it that flavor all year. <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice on scallops and yeah. Yeah. And so what's next? What's next for you? You have a I mean you're you're off doing this this work in communities and talking to people? Right. That's really you know, that's my passion outside of um you know what I do say for work. Uh because it's it's taken me all over the place. I've meet I've met such wonderful people and I get to and they I get to hear their stories about how they ate and how they are eating now and to me that is that's what uh, that's what keeps me going yeah you know it's what's the next thing what are you eating and what are you doing with it <laughs> you know? and, and i have to ask you it said how your mother said oh you know no one will ever pay to, right. to, to, to go and do that what does what does your mom think of it all now she uh, she don't know what to, much to think of it now <laughs> i we just aired uh, we shot land and see um uh, earlier in the fall and it's coming out in a couple of months and she didn't really know what to make of it you know and she says that when she's on she's like I don't know what's next to her for her <laughs> and, and it's nice to see your family like in the in the videos that you do and things it's nice to see that you're all kind of part of this uh, world now. yeah I, th- I, well whether they like it or not they're roped <laughs> into it dragged into it yeah. <laughs> yeah you know so dad will come and show how to skin the rabbits and yeah so it is it's great and it keeps it keeps everyone close together yeah you know and that's what that's what food's all about i think that's what food's about <laughs> exactly that's great so people want you they can find you codsounds.ca yeah and codsounds on various social media yes thank you for coming on the show thanks for having me i'm dale jarvis you've been listening to living heritage a production of CHMR Radio 93.5 in collaboration with the Intangible Cultural Heritage Office of the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador. You can find us online at ichblog.ca or on iTunes. Our production assistant is Tara Barrett. We would love to know what you think of the show. Leave us a comment on the Living Heritage Podcast Facebook page or tweet us at ICH underscore NL. Thanks for listening. <laughs>